Welcome to an LTFC Studio Production. Episode 8, recorded October 22nd, 2017, titled God's Grace, Part 3, with Pastor Ron Robinson speaking. the last few days, um, and to kind of top it all off, I couldn't get technology to work for me at home, so I couldn't even print off my <laughs> my outline, so I'm trying to do this from an iPad, and uh, we'll see how that goes, but anyway, I apologize, I don't have slides uh, today, but um, we don't need them. <laughs> God can... Uh, God can speak, I believe, and um, and He can enable us to hear exactly what He wants us to hear. So that's my my heart and my prayer today. We've been talking about the grace of God, the miraculous grace of God, and uh, today I want to continue in that same theme, and I want to kind of set the stage for today's message by sharing a little background on one of Israel's kings as well as uh, one of God's prophets, the king being uh, King Ahab and the prophet being Elijah. And um, just kind of want to start out by, first of all, having a word of prayer, all right? Let's do that again. Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus, first of all, acknowledging you as Lord of all. Father, we praise you today. Worthy are you, Lord, of our praise. Father, we thank you that you are the great I am, King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we love you. We pray now that you would come Speak today to my heart, to our hearts, I pray. Help us to hear clearly and to see exactly what it is you want us to see. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking in 1 Kings and and a little bit in 2 Kings, all right? Um, and I'm going to give you the passage of uh, our text here, but it'll come near the end, all right? Because there's um, several things I want to talk about kind of in preparation that leads up to uh, um, the text, but I'm going to be jumping around, so I'm just going to do more kind of telling you about it, and, and then you can check it out uh, beginning in chapter 16 of First Kings, all the way up through chapter 19, and then we're going to skip ahead to 2 Kings chapter 1, all right? The background is this. King Ahab, at this particular time, reigned in Samaria over Israel, but he was in Samaria for 22 years. He was king. And the scripture says that King Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than those that came before him. 
his father um, Omri and even Jeroboam, which we have read so much about, did more evil than any of those kings prior. And probably, not probably, I know, the greatest sin of all was the fact that King Ahab chose not to follow God. Instead, he worshipped Baal. And as we read through those passages of Scripture, we understand that he married even Jezebel. You know Jezebel. Jezebel was the daughter of uh, Eth Baal, king of the Sidonians. And we can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 31. Because he married Jezebel, you know, Jezebel followed all these other gods and worshipped Baal. And so when he joined with Jezebel, Jezebel's gods became his gods. He began to serve Baal and to worship him. Fast forwarding a bit, God sends Elijah to King Ahab to tell him that there uh, will be no dew or rain for several years, or for a few years anyway. And you read about that in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. God tells him, Elijah, head eastward to hide. Oh, wait a minute. After he tells uh, King Ahab, the next thing that we see is God tells him to run and hide because you just don't go and tell a king like that of a country um, uh, something that's going to provoke him because you know that you're, you have a, you're running a risk of losing your life. And so God told him to run and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. And there God takes care of him. He provides him with food from the ravens, remember, and water to drink. And then eventually that water dries up, so he leads him, uh, you know, fast-forwarding a bit to um, some other dynamics, a, a, a woman and her son who God instructs to care for him, to feed him, and so forth. God blesses in that regard as well. And then... Fast forwarding again in First um, Kings chapter 18, verses 17 through 19. Uh, Elijah meets Obadiah. And um, Obadiah was sent out by King uh, Ahab. And, and he meets him, um, uh, King uh, uh, Ahab's messenger, okay, meets him and, and says to Obadiah to take this message back to the king. And um, that message was that he wanted to meet uh, King Ahab at Mount Carmel, all right? Not only did he want to meet uh, uh, 
King Ahab, he wanted to meet all the people of Israel. Not only all the people of Israel, he wanted to meet the 450 prophets of Baal. He also wanted to meet the 400 prophets of Asherah who ate at Jezebel's table. All right? And he kind of puts it in a light like, you know, he has something he wants to share with them, but he, he does it in a tone that attracts them and causes them all to meet him at, the, at Mount Carmel. And you know the story. He challenges the people to, um, you know, if you believe in God, then follow God. If you believe in Baal, then follow Baal. And kind of challenges them. And, and then says, you know, let's, let's take two bulls. You take a bull, you prepare it, and then you pray over it and ask your God to send fire to consume it. And then we read where, you know, he, they pray from morning till noon. Nothing happens. They become kind of, you know, disheartened by it. But then they keep on. They pray more fervently. They dance. They do other things. They cut themselves. All the things that they do in following their gods. And by evening... By the evening sacrifice, which would mean around the time the sun would be beginning to set, still nothing happens. So, Elijah then tells them, remember the story? He tells them to, <clears throat> um, to help him build an altar. They build an altar. He digs a trench around his sacrifice, his bull that he prepared. And, um, and then he begins to pray. Oh, first, before that, he tells them to go and fetch these four large jars, probably those real big urns of water, and pour those over the sacrifice, the wood, everything. He tells them to do it three times. So you can imagine what that scene looked like. The sacrifice was soaked in water, the wood, the stones, the, the trench was full of water. And then we know what happens. Elijah <laughs> He calls on the name of the Lord. And scripture says that God sent, come on, iPad. <laughs> God sent fire down from heaven. Not only did it consume the sacrifice, but scripture records that it consumed everything. It burned up the wood, the stones. It lapped up the water. There was nothing left. And then we read where then Elijah, in the power and the might and the calling of the Lord, he tells them not to let the prophets of Baal go. And he takes them all and kills them, purifying that situation before God. Pretty, uh, 
awesome story and uh, pretty scary in some ways as well too, isn't it? Well, that brings us up a little bit further here. Right after Elijah tells uh, the people or, or prays over the sacrifice and, and all this happens and, and there's the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit and fire and everything happens and the people begin to worship Elijah's God. They say, your God is God, all right? Then the next thing that happens is Remember, um, there had not been any rain, right? So Elijah tells King Ahab, you know, you better get going. Uh, you better prepare because I, I, I feel it in the air. You know, rain's coming. Uh, that's my description, okay? Rain's coming. And so um, he sends, Elijah sends his servant to go look over the seed and the south and he asked him to go seven times because he knows that God's going to be faithful. God's always faithful to his calling. Each of those times leading up to the seventh time, still nothing, the messenger replies. But the seventh time he goes, he sees a little teeny cloud about the size of a hand beginning to form over the body of water. It's then that Elijah tells the king that he better get going. He better hook up his chariot and he better be, be getting out of there before he's flooded out. And sure enough, the rain came. Again, God was faithful to his word. Now here's where I want to get into what I believe God has for us quickly. And that is, after witnessing all of that, Look at King Ahab for a minute. You would think everyone would have just fallen on their knees before God and would have recognized his power and his might and would have begun to worship him, not King Ahab. King Ahab's heart had been hardened against God. Why? Because he chose to worship Baal. He chose to worship and follow other gods. When we allow the enemy to enter into our, our relationship, our sphere of influence, when we allow him to begin to cloud our thinking if we're not careful we can give way to the enemy's control that's exactly what King Ahab did he was being controlled not by the power of God but by the enemy and so imagine what he did he ran home I, I can imagine he told in great detail everything that happened what Elijah did and how he killed all the prophets. I would imagine that in the midst of sharing all of that with Jezebel, that it was done in a tone where you could even see 
the jealousy, probably. And um, just all of that, you know, that was going on in the heart of King Ahab. Well, what happened next was because of King Ahab's pride and giving way to the enemy, pride and unbelief in God, great tragedy and pain came not only to him but to the nation of Israel and even caused pain for Elijah. Well, Ahab, like us, failed to see God and misrepresented the truth, I'm sure, to Jezebel. Because when we are not controlled by God, we're controlled by something, aren't we? And his own spirit of pride and unbelief the workings of the enemy who seeks to rob, steal, and destroy, all that set in. It's the same way for us. <clears throat> we focus sometimes on others. We focus on circumstances. We take our eyes off the miraculous that God is. God has already done in our lives or in other situations. And we allow those dynamics to change our focus. We allow then the enemy to creep in and begin to affect our thinking and the way we act. We allow pride in our own hurt to enter in and to dictate then our heart's response to others. Sometimes to those that we love the most. Not only God, but those he's given to us as our mate. those that he's given to us as our children, our friends. Unchecked, over time, that begins to work on the way we think in our mind, which then begins to affect our action, our heart. Our heart becomes hardened just like King Ahab. And it can lead to tragedy and pain for all involved. That's what Hebrews 12, 1 through 15 talks about. 
Hebrews 12, 1 through 15. Well, moving on, Elijah, you know, although all this miraculous stuff was done through the prophet Elijah, really, for a moment anyway, we see him reverting to some of the same thing that King Ahab was exhibiting. What do I mean? Well, remember after all that happened, after King Ahab went back and told Jezebel, what did Jezebel do? What does the enemy do when we're experiencing freedom in Christ, when we're experiencing the joy that comes in following him? What does the enemy seek to do? Rob, steal, and destroy, right? Cause confusion. And so right away, Elijah knowing Jezebel's character, knowing um, her reputation. She sends word saying that by this time tomorrow, you're a dead man. So what does Elijah do? Even after witnessing all this, for a moment he takes his focus off of God. When we take our focus off of God, we then begin to operate not in God's strength, but in our own strength, in our own strategies. And so what did Elijah do? Scripture says he ran. He ran. He got out of there. He ran so far that he ran all the way from where he was at, all the way down to... um, Jezreel and beyond. I'm, I'm sorry, Bathsheba and beyond. Like over 200, well, initially it was 17 miles he ran away, but then later we re- read that um, in this particular case he ran over 250 miles away. Okay. Not straight probably, but uh, he got out of there. All right, and he got far away to the point where he found himself in the desert under a juniper tree. And there, in his despair, in his anguish, probably feeling a little bit of guilt, he then begins to cry out to God. You see, Paul encourages us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He encourages us with this, that we as followers of Christ are to walk by faith and not by sight. The psalmist reminds us that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom extends over everything at Psalms 103 verse 19 what I want to say is do we believe God do we believe his power 
We are to see through the eyes, in other words, of faith. Paul, in speaking to the Romans, said, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace. It may be guaranteed to all. That's Romans 4, 16. There are several other scriptures that I had there but that I thought were really good, but um, I'll just mention them if you want to write those down. Titus 3, 6, Titus 3, 6, Jude 1, 20, and Romans 8, 26 all have something, I believe, that really adds to that as well. When we focus on our circumstances and our strategies instead of allowing the grace of God to guide us by faith in our minds and our hearts, we lose sight of the miraculous presence and power of Christ. And then our Strategies, our strategies lead us astray, just like Elijah when he ran in fear. His strategies led him 250 miles away. Well, we will face struggles. Just like Elijah, when we go through situations of a similar nature, when we find ourselves hiding or being discouraged or depressed, dejected, maybe feeling guilty. Why? Because we know God's called us to do something, but we're not really walking in that calling. When that happens, we're going to face struggles but you know what the beauty of all of this is God didn't leave Elijah there wallowing in his self-pity Elijah knew God it was just that he took his eyes off of him and what God had just accomplished and allowed fear to creep in I've done that But our loving God didn't leave Elijah there. In his depression and guilt. We read in 1 Kings 19:5 that he sent an angel who brought food and water to him to nourish him. Why? Because then God directed him to go 250 miles back to Mount Horeb. Why Mount Horeb? That is the mountain of God. That's where Moses met God. And God wanted to take him back. To that place where Elijah would remember God's power 
and there. God ministered to him. God refreshed him, renewed him, enabled him to grasp once again his ministry calling. Then what does the scripture say? Following that, God sends him out on mission according to his calling and has Elijah anoint two kings, one of Syria and one of Israel, and then also go and anoint Elisha to take his place. Then later, fast-forwarding to today's text, <laughs> 2 Kings, chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Well, we read that um, Elisha, once again empowered by God, meets the messenger of King Ahaziah. In 2 Kings 1, 3. And uh, he relays this message to the messenger of King Ahaziah and tells him basically this. Uh, and first of all, King Ahaziah had fallen out of a window and hurt himself very badly. And so what does King Ahaziah do? He doesn't call on God. He calls on Baalzebub. One of the gods of Baal, okay? For help. And so, Elijah tells this messenger, what's the matter with you? Isn't there a God of Israel? And then tells him, because of his not calling out to God, that the bed that he finds himself in now is the bed that he is going to die in, basically. And that's exactly what happens. The angel goes back and relays the message to King Ahaziah. And then in this, today's text, King Ahaziah send, sends a commander of 50 that first wave comes. They tell King or tell um, Elijah, "Come with us." In other words, come with us back to the king, um, prophet of God. And then Elijah says, "Well, if I'm the prophet of God, then God sends fire to destroy you." And God did, and they were all destroyed by fire. Second wave came. Another commander of fifty. They're met with fire as well, completely destroyed. Third commander of 50 came and recognized the power and authority that Elijah operated in, bowed before Elijah and his God and pleaded with them to spare um, them. And so Elijah goes under the direction of God with this commander and his 50 back to King Ahaziah 
goes back into the heart and the territory of the enemy. Remember, he went, took him back to the place of his fear, right where Jezebel was. Now, the, the importance here is to note we shouldn't venture out in our power, in our might, and thinking that we can conquer the enemy. That's not it. But here, Elijah, in the maturity of his relationship with God, being taught, learning through experience, recognizing the authority of God and how God empowers us, going back under the bidding of God, not his own doing. He walked in the power of God. And he relayed that message. And sure enough, King Ahaziah died right there in front of Jezebel. And there was nothing Jezebel could do about it. Now, Elijah was acting defensively. By that I mean he was defending his God. All right? And this is a note I want to end on today. He was operating, like I said, defensively and according to the judgment of God. But that's not what we find when we turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 54. In Luke chapter 9, verse 54, we read this about the disciples. At this point, the disciples were still young in their understanding of Christ and what he came to do and the life that he promised and the power that he promised. And so in verse 9 or chapter 9 verse 54 the disciples action was instead of defensive defending God it became offensive to God. Why? Because they said, in relation to the circumstance that was going on, should we call the fire of God down to consume these people? This is what the disciples were saying, referring back to what Elijah had done. And the point that I'm making is the disciples failed to understand the power of God's grace. No longer were the people living under the law, the circumstances, but they were now living under the power of grace that came through the salvation of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You see, it's the grace of God. When we give way to that, when we keep our eyes fixed on God, when we praise him, when we choose to make him Lord, he provides the faith we need to keep on keeping on. And he grows us, he teaches us. We grow in our understanding of what it means to live by grace. 
so that in these situations, we can then in turn turn to others and share that same grace with them in their difficulty, in their struggles. We can lead them to the one who, by his grace, had mercy on us. Hallelujah. That's the message, the grace of God, that I believe he wants us to understand today. I pray that God will work that in each one of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, when we devote our lives to you, when we seek after you day and night, when we praise you, our praise is acknowledging you as Lord of all. Not just Lord of all in general, but Lord of even our present circumstances, our present situation we find us in. No matter how difficult that may seem or tragic or whatever, when we praise you, when we focus you on you, Father, your power, your grace ministers to our need. Father, I just pray that you would enable us to understand more clearly how deeply you love us. And that, Father, you loved us so deeply that by grace, so that we couldn't claim any of it of our own, by grace, you redeemed us, you restored us to right standing with you. Father, we give you praise. We thank you that you are indeed our hope, and not an I hope so, but a hope that is I know so in you. Father, empower us this week, I pray, by your spirit. I pray that each one of us, as we go through this week, Father, when we turn to the right or to the left, we'll be reminded of your grace. We'll be reminded of your love, your power. And that in that reminder, Father, we will be energized by your spirit to share that same grace with those who have not yet come to know you. We give you great praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless that word to your hearts. And go with Jesus. Breathe on Thank you for joining us for this message from Pastor Run. We hope that this message has helped draw you closer to God. We also hope that you will be able to join us for our Sunday worship as we would love to have you be a part of our church family. Our Sunday school starts at 9 a.m. 
and Sunday worship starts at 10 a.m. Don't forget to check out our website where you can find our address and our church phone number. The website is trinityfriends.com. Once again, that's trinityfriends.com. While there, feel free to check out the calendar for upcoming church events that are happening as well. And feel free to check out our new Facebook page to stay up to date on all the new activities that are happening as well. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, God bless. Speak.